Welcome to Sundays with Stories. This is a weekly podcast brought to you by the Life Process Program, or LPP, our online addiction coaching program. I'm Zach Rhodes. I'm sitting here, as always, with Dr. Stanton Peel, who is the creator of the Life Process Program. In each of these episodes, we highlight and react to recent addiction-related news. And as you'll notice, we don't always align with the way that the news stories are portrayed, and you'll hear more on that soon. To learn more about the Life Process Program, visit lifeprocessprogram.com. And of course, subscribe to this YouTube channel or download this podcast on your preferred podcast app. Stanton, take it away. What's on your mind today? Yeah. Well, we were asked a question in one of our recent um, podcasts. Can you point out any advantages of AA? And um, the things that people tend to talk about are it is a supportive group. I mean, somebody, uh, Johan Hari points that out. And I think the person who wrote in said, well, what about making amends, meaning uh, improving your relationships outside the group? And I I don't think we explored that thoroughly enough and talked about mm. alternatives. Do you, I mean, you yourself, I, I thought I might begin by you yourself, at one point went to AA looking for, you know, support for your issues at the time. And that didn't work out well. Do you want to just give a minute about that, how that didn't fulfill your needs? Yeah. Well, what I wrote about in the book probably didn't do a good enough job capturing it, but the essence was that I felt like I was in a place where people were in a way like-minded. I mean, people were having other issues that were similar to mine and that was good. Um, but what I came to realize was that I wasn't being listened to. And that was really what I was seeking at the end of the day, because in order to tackle some of the stuff that was going on in my life, I needed to feel like I was being heard, that I wasn't doing something alone. So at the end of it, you know, after having conversations, what sparked the idea for me is that I wasn't being listened to, that my real life experience wasn't taken into account, was that I happened not to believe in God, or at least you could call me agnostic. And there's, um, there's an emphasis on God everywhere in the big book that a sponsor of mine, you know, kept referring to, and he sort of, in a condescending way, while, while still being likable, said something to the effect of, well, you know, you hang in enough, you'll understand. And uh, I realized then that this didn't jive with my life experience. So I was in a group, and I was in a group of like-minded people. I was even in a group of like-minded people who wanted to make progress in their own lives, but I felt alone in the group. And I have come to realize that a lot of people feel alone in that group because they're, it's something, it's a um, philosophy imposed on them, and it may or may not align with the way that they think about their life experience. Well, what, what brought this back to my mind? Well, there are two aspects of it. The, we're not pro AA. Sorry, you can join AA if you want. But one of the things that AA lacks is skills orientation, and so mm-hmm. you know, making amends. Okay, <clears throat> that's almost a skills technique where you kind of go to people and say, um, "Well, you know, here's what I think I've done wrong." And that's something like a skills orientation, but. In general, belonging to an AA group isn't about learning how to deal with others. And um, 
and in particular, learning how, knowing how to listen to others, which is what you just emphasized so well. And all this flooded back to me because there was a um, HBO program called White Lotus. This isn't about White Lotus. The producer of that program previously had a show called Enlightened, <clears throat> and it starred Laura Dern. And Laura Dern goes through some undescribed mental breakdown in the place she worked, which had something to do with having an affair with her boss. And she goes to a rehab. And the rehab was never made clear to be a drug or alcohol rehab, although throughout the series, drugs and alcohol come up. Although she does drink, so but she's in a different kind of recovery. And the recovery has something to do with some kind of yeah, I would, if I had to guess, they would have diagnosed her as bipolar, probably because they diagnose everybody as bipolar. <laughs> and when she gets out, she sees her job as to be to impose her point of view on everybody else. And another story that you tell is when you met off site with your sponsor and he brought the big book to show you the section about, well, how stupid you were. Because there's a section about, um, you know, AA for atheists, like they needed to be brought along. And so it's called we agnostics. Yeah. Yeah. So he came along and here he's supposed to be outreaching and communicating with you. And you're a member of the group. You're not even outside the group. And what he's trying to do is impose his views on you. And so Laura Dern plays this version of a woman who's been enlightened because she's had such a great time in rehab. And she wants to impose, she, she comes out with a book, Change, Now or Never. And her mission, after she leaves this group, is to inform everybody about how they need to change. She's going through rehab, and she still has problems. And in fact, the problem is the way she interacts with people is to impose her views on them. So she lives <laughs> with her mother. And she keeps telling her mother, we never communicate. And you never talk to me, but all she ever does is talk to her mother about how she doesn't communicate. She never says, well, how are you feeling, mom? Or did you ever reflect on, you know, when I was younger, did I have similar problems to have to what I have now? Or, you know, what do you think? She doesn't have anything conversational, uh, let alone skills oriented. And, and I didn't want to... I think one of the ways in which we didn't fully explore that question before is that the life process program, once you thinks it's essential for you to interact with the people in your life, we don't think of his addiction as occurring in isolation. And we have skills exercises that enable you to go about doing that kind of an interaction, asking questions, for example, in, in doing a mini motivational interview with people that are close to you. We have, there's something called reciprocal marital counseling, which talks about, you know, what is it about my behavior that sets you off and vice versa? And so Laura Dern demonstrates the exact opposite of that. For her, having been in what this rehab program means that she's learned something brilliant that she now needs to impose on other human beings. And that's something that really, I think, strikes a chord in terms of the AA operation where AA, you know, they have their 12 steps and you now know what you know, and you now have to broadcast and bring others into the net. It's more 
it's more like a religious sect. And that's what, you know, this guy was doing that to you. Um, and that's how, of course, that's how recovery people come across for the most part. Uh, if you read Medium, they're about how I learned to value sobriety. Here's my list of ways that I did that. Um, here's how you should do it. As opposed to doing something like we do in life process program, like saying, well, tell me about your life, which is a basic and a fundamental. Tell me what you care about. Tell me about what benefits you get from your addiction. I mean, why are you doing your addiction? There's some kind of explanation. It may be more or less true or interior. And that comes up in um, Enlightened. Her ex-boyfriend is made to be a substance misuser. <clears throat> and at one point, he gives a fantastic version of harm reduction. He says, well, you don't know why I use these things and how I feel when I don't use these things. Here you are wanting to take something from me without even comprehending their role in my life. And that, that it's so the whole question of how AA allows you to reach out to other people, it, it, it does have something that looks like that. It has the structure of that, but it lacks the content and framework and skills of that. Where do you, does that, what, you know something about both in your own life and in helping other people to learn to expand their ability to interact with other human beings. That's kind of part of your job. It's several of your jobs. I just just got off the line with a man who wrote a book called um, Hacking School Discipline. It was a book that actually, I started reading it thinking, this is going to suck. A colleague recommended it to me, and it inspired me. And his whole the whole premise of his book was people both, people need to, be heard and understood and also that people it's a boon if people can realize that when they act when they say something it has meaning to them implications on them and then also others around them and then they can scale that however they want to they can have better or worse outcomes depending on what they do and not only that but let's say something gets too negative they're not stuck there forever that can always be repaired as long as there's an interaction going on where people felt understood and problem solve with that, which is, a, you know, the antithesis of evangelizing for some model and trying to fit people into that awkward box. And does he give techniques? Is it an awareness thing or does he teach techniques for doing this? He teaches very practical techniques to, to do things on an individual basis or, you know, with a couple of students or to um, use it as a system in your school, which you can revamp or tailor to um, whatever happens to be going on in your school or whatever the emergent issues are in your school. And he shies away from um, creating, talking about this like a system that schools just need to adopt. It's more of a framework of thinking with practical advice. And then he's always open as a consultant. I mean, he gives free advice all day long about how you might interact with different kind of situations. And so it was, it's interesting that this is the topic that we're discussing just 
on the on the other end of having this conversation with a guy who was a breath of fresh air. I mean, his whole thing was that um, uh, his, his name is Nathan Maynard. And this whole thing was like, I don't want to be a guru. I just want to say what people, I, I just want to express what I know other people have ex- been expressing to me who work in schools and feel stuck. And I want to offer, you know, some strategies and a way of thinking about humans and remembering to, that everyone has a voice and meaning in a community. I'd say the, the basic form of respect is to say somebody exists in the world. In, in your case, the guy comes to you and says, well, I'll teach you why you shouldn't be agnostic as opposed to asking you, well, why do you believe what you believe? And Laura Dern going to people and saying, you know, well, you need to learn this new system and you need to stop taking substances. The essence of arm reduction is to approach people as as though uh, Pat Denning does this and I, I... I know your, your wife is involved in an organization where she's trying to get people to be more open to this. People are taking drugs for some kind of purpose in their lives. And your goal isn't to come in and say, oh, you need to stop drinking. That's bad for you. You need to stop taking drugs. The, the first step, as not our, the 12 step first step is to say, well, what's your life like and how does this fit in? And at a greater level of respect, it's to say, well, that makes sense to you. And it may, and you're not going to change if it doesn't, unless it stops making sense to you. And um, I'm not going to say it doesn't make sense in your life. I'm going to explore that situation with you. And you can extend that into the areas of mental illness. We shared, or I shared with you, a common story that people tell is people reject their anti-psychotic medication. And that's such a fundamental truth. You sort of say to yourself, well, why do they do that? If it's so effective, do people like being psychotic? I mean, what's the, what's the logic in the fact? There's always this debate. Should we force people to take their medication or not? And then the fundamental question is, well, if it's so good and being psychotic is so bad, what, why do you have to hard sell it? So it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an easy out, too, and it really depresses me sometimes when I see on the heels of somebody committing suicide. Uh, the, the answer often is, ah, he was off his medication. You know, um, it, there's no acknowledgement about why somebody, right, if it's life-preserving, ostensibly why would they not want to be on their medication that's in, that should be interesting and <clears throat> one answer that people give is a simple answer they give is i don't feel like myself when i'm on the medication and mm-hmm. at a deeper level one way of looking at that is they people make some kind of a deal with the universe they see themselves in relation to things and there are ways in which that relate that in image can be very harmful um and and even dangerous but it's essential to who they are and they're not going to depart from that way that perch in the universe unless and until uh they feel okay about doing that that they feel there's a better way of doing that so that way of thinking is totally against 
the medical notion of addiction and mental illness, which is you have a thing and we have a way of removing that thing. And you should take our medicine to remove that thing. Um, and then you'll be fine. We've eliminated the source of your problem. There's a different school of thought. It's, I don't, it hardly exists in the U.S. It's British. It's in Britain. It's more active. It's a real form of psychology, which is more existential. It sort of says people have some kind of essential relationship to the world, to other people. And that's a part of their core being. And you have to both respect that. And if you're making any effort to improve their capacity to deal with the world, you have to address that. And that's something you do. <clears throat> you do that with children. I mean, a child comes in with a way of dealing with the world around them, and you, you first want to understand that, and then you want to respect that. You, you want to see their point of view and, and, and see, in a sense, how and why it works. When I talk with kids, it's I like to address the elephant in the room first. If obviously, if someone's having difficulty, I kind of know it. When they're talking, to, by the time they're talking to me, they know there's some difficulty. And what they're used to having happen is um, people coming in explaining, you know, why they're so annoying <laughs> and what they should be doing. And let's do a handshake on, okay, do this now. And um, what I, what really needs to happen? What I think gives kids human beings dignity in that sort of exchange is laying out what the difficulty is it seems like you're having difficulty whatever it is and then really just asking what's up with that and that's that's really it's so dumbly um common sense that it doesn't sound like a strategy but it really is especially if your impulse is to overcorrect and people We'll generally tell you what's going on and a wise person can ask the right kind of questions to steer people into explaining their own experience and what could be the, um, what are the kind of hoops they need to feel like they need to jump through in order to act in some expected way. And then everyone can kind of make a shift because the thing is now that the thing that we're addressing is an issue, not the person being bad or the person being wrong or the person not having the right mindset and everyone can make a slight shift to address an issue. So if this person's having difficulty for some reason, we can address the things that they're having difficulty with. If the expectations are too high, then I or whoever, you know, an educator is, or in the case of mental health, whatever can address like the demands that are placed on them to lower them while we're working on the skills needed to meet them. It's, um, that's a full collaboration. And that's, I think, how human beings should be dealt with. Collaboration is a very critical term in your lexicon. Uh, it's collaboration both with your client and collaboration with the people around them. Um, <clears throat> we have a motive. I mean, there are big motivational interviewing training courses and videos. We have a simple version that we use with clients. And, you know, to break it down to the simplest form, because they're we have a client interact with another client and then we have a third person observe them to break it down to its simplest form. We say, ask the other person questions and 
the further deeper level is to say, respect their answers. You're not asking people, you're not doing motivational interviewing if you're asking people questions, catch them out and say, ah, don't you see that you're how screwed up you are? Your job when you're asking questions is to understand their point of view and to respect it. And that, that the simplest skills, you know, and I, I, I thought about this in a broader political context. Biden came out and gave a speech and the speech, he's trying to get two Democratic senators to vote on behalf of the Democrats. And the way he phrased it was, do you want to go down in history as somebody who you know, denied people the right to vote? In other words, you, on a public stage, Biden's a guy who's got skills at dealing with people, um, not with drugs and alcohol, perhaps. And he's publicly trying to shame them. And they're, you know, U.S. senators who were in sort of semi-red states, and they know how to get votes. Uh, you're not going to shit, and it didn't work. The way instead is a political extension of all of this, where the way you get people to change their outward behavior, their political behavior, identity politics has a negative name, but what it has to do with is to show them that the steps that they're taking is actually would actually be consistent with who they really are and what they want in life. There, um, very short story. I know we're limited on time, but the, and I may have told it, but I was um, speaking with there was a group of administrators and, and educators uh, sitting at the tables one time trying to brainstorm how to facilitate conversations with some students. And I was just really giving um, sort of down-to-earth advice or ways that I've communicated with them before that have been successful. And one of the many things that I suggested was I was talking about reflective, real, real active listening. And I was saying, you know, this student, I've noticed you try to reflect something back to him in the standard. I hear that you are saying blah, 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 blah. He's, he's on to that. Like he understands that that's, this is something not natural about it. So the thing that I do with the student, I told this woman, I told the group, is um, they focus on the very last two or three words that they say, and then I repeat them sometimes with varying intonation. So, you know, and then I robbed a bank, robbed a bank, you know, that, you know, something like that. And they continue to talk and they talk themselves into a more articulate version of talking. And once they get there, they're ready to have a conversation. This woman, uh, there was a woman that was arguing with me about this and saying, uh, you know, I get act, I know what active listening is. So we don't want to send them on a tailspin saying the last two words for indefinitely. And she said that, you know, I, and I, I trust me, I know about active listening. I've worked on a board of a recovery justice or something, uh, restorative justice center. And I said, restorative justice center. She said, yeah. And I was, and she launched into, I repeated her last three words the thing that she was arguing about and she launched into a story about, and I continued to do this until we got to a point and I said, well, that's interesting. I I'm interested in uh, restorative justice. We should, we should collaborate here. We should uh, put our heads together. And that got us into a conversation. And there were a couple people who emailed me after saying that was hilarious. You know, they, they noticed what happened, but she didn't even notice. We were just talking about it. So you I always a, think that's funny. You have a skill about doing it. Uh, somehow you knew about these things. 
before you heard about them. I mean, you already understood these dynamics. I mean, it was part of your skill set, which was part of your troubles and your benefits uh, growing up. But you're good at getting people to express themselves and to feel that you were supportive. I mean, you know, that can even get you in trouble if you go too far with the group in their direction. One last thing before we shift off of what's wrong with the AA group membership model. The whole point, Laura Dern getting back to uh, Enlighten, if you're part of a group and you see your group as being the key, you know, like Christianity, well, you should be like me, is that the group becomes encircled in itself. It doesn't become a bridge to the world outside. And the whole concept of AA for many people and in its basic organization is the lifetime membership. And the difference between that and SMART and other skills-oriented group and certainly life process program, you're not going to be in the life process program forever. You can dial back in. But the point is that you have to develop techniques and skills for reaching out to other people. You're not meant to become a lifetime member of the life process program. But you are, in a way, meant to become a lifetime member of AA, which is something that kind of really draws a parallel, as you were experiencing with your your sponsor, uh, Mm. to a religious cult. And that's one way of defining, this gets back to something we've also spoken about, you know, where the guy's stalking his therapist, where the therapy becomes the addiction itself, where it becomes the main focus, where its values become all of your values, where rather than facilitating your segueing into the world outside, it becomes the end and object itself of your affection and your emotions. Hmm. So you want to, um, in our program, we have an interest in helping people scaffold skills that they can use for themselves to be more of themselves. Um, And then go often. Right, and then they're they're free to use them, and they don't have to have someone sort of looking on as they either fail or succeed, whatever. They're just sort of more independent, as opposed to something that is supposed to last with you. You have to check back in every once in a while, almost like AA is a probation officer or something. Well, you you're the one. You're working with children gives you a real leg up on that because sort of everybody knows the goal of children is to become independent adults. We lose track of mm-hmm. that. So in a way, you come with an advantage. Um, the whole, I mean, we're getting back to the fun. The disease model is about how you're permanently fucked up. The life process program, it tries to embody the fact that most people, by far the large majority, evolve in a positive direction and often among a majority of them to something like total liberation. And, and that's, that's the fundamental difference between what it means to say, uh, well, AA does help you, you know, get a better relationship to the world up to possibly a point, you know, obviously if you're not constantly intoxicated, that might be a positive, but it doesn't take you to the real realm of being a real fully experienced human being. Hmm. Anything that you want to add about this section? Yeah, let's move on to uh, how can smoking not be addictive? All right, let's do this as a separate segment. So um, 
we're going to talk about another topic now. Actually, I'll, I'll go ahead and leave this in. Um, if you want to view it, it's going to be something that's not exactly our programming at Life Process program. Um, but you can view it on Stanton's channel, which is just you search Stanton Peel on YouTube. So I'll talk to you over the other channels. Stanton. <laughs>